So most of you are aware that uh, uh, I got back about a week ago and uh, was gone for about almost two weeks to West Africa, and we took a special offering uh, at our Christmas Eve offering for a well, to drill a well in Africa, and friends of mine who came through this last July, Rich and Anna Marshall, uh, had said, we're, this is what we're doing, and I thought, well, this would be great, we could give to that, maybe we could pay for a well for a village. And so we took that offering, and sure enough, we had enough money, and uh, Rich uh, suggested, or I don't know if he suggested or if I said, oh, I'll go. <laughs> Something happened, but somehow I got myself into this, and it's one of those things where you go, yeah, did I really say that? And, and I did. Um, but anyways, it was a, it was an incredible trip. It was a trip where I caught a cold, so um, I'm still kind of working through the getting rid of that cold, but I just want to say that I want to thank everybody who contributed and prayed and became part of this well project. You know, it may have been me that traveled to Africa, but it was you who provided the funds, you that gave a well to this village. Um, Whether you uh, gave a lot or a little, if you gave, if you prayed, you're part of a major event in this village uh, of Columba. And Columba has a population of about, well, they gave me a number, so I think it's pretty accurate, 3,043 people in this village. Um, it's in the bush in uh, West Africa, uh, uh, outside of uh, Mali. Uh, there's a pastor there. They do not have a church. They have one Christian family besides the pastor's family in this village. Uh, he moved uh, to Columba uh, in December of uh, 2018. And his, villi- his vision is to reach the village along with 12 other villages that are close by. And so this is a great opportunity for us to, to do that. Um, the village holds to animism. Animism is a religious belief that uh, basically says that objects, places, and creatures all possess distinct spiritual, a distinct spiritual essence. So the many people, if not most of the people in the village, uh, worship an idol called Como. And uh, one, of the village, uh, one of the men in the village dresses up uh, with feathers and, and costumes and goes out at night and to offer sacrifices to the idol. And everyone is warned to stay inside. If the women see him, they may die. People are controlled by fear. And they're afraid to come to Christ because of the fear of this idol. So there's a lot going on in this village. And uh, so we sat down with the acting chief one afternoon and just shared. And the other thing you need to know, story, backstory is, that uh, this last summer, Rich had been at the village and sat down with the chief and talked to him about the, what we were planning on doing, coming in to put a well in. And uh, unfortunately, another Christian group had come in and made promises and never carried them out. So the chief wasn't really feeling it. He wasn't really thinking that this was ever going to get done. And Rich said, uh, it will happen. This is going to happen. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He didn't know, you know, but he said, this is going to happen. And so we had the privilege of going there, and we spent two days. Uh, we allotted three days to drill to get water. And the, on the first day, we hit water. The second day, we kind of cleaned the well out and capped the well. And so, uh, you know, God answered prayer, and um, we, he wanted to express. We had hit water, and we went over, we talked to him. We told him kind of what the process would be. 
And he wanted to express to you as a congregation how thankful he is uh, for your generosity in bringing water to the, his village. He was very thankful for that. Um, and I don't know if they even understand it, but this is, a, this, is a, this is one Christian group that has come through and brought life-giving water. And you may ask, um, why, uh, why do we bring water? Well, of course, to make their lives better, right? Uh, so their children can thrive. Yes, ab- absolutely. There's a, there's a higher, there's a bigger reason why we do this. And so I want to read you a passage from, uh, this is Matthew chapter 25, and I think it, it fits kind of how I feel what we were trying to do. Matthew 25 verse uh, 34, if you want to write that down for later reference. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom of God prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Then the king will reply, truly, I tell you, Whatever you did, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's why we do it. See, our goal was to bring physical water. Sorry, I adjusted my microphone. um, To bring physical water so that we could share about Jesus who is the living water. And they're much more likely to hear about Jesus the living water from people who brought them physical water. So that's why we did it. Um, We are interested in meeting their physical needs, but we're also interested in meeting their spiritual needs. And that's why we did it. So what will happen from here on? So the well that we drilled, we capped it. And uh, in about a week to ten days, uh, maybe two weeks, uh, there'll be, and we paid for all of this. We paid for the well to be drilled. We paid for a tower. We paid for a reservoir t- uh, barrel. It's a big, big container. Yeah, I'll show you a picture in a couple of weeks. And we paid for a solar collector and a pump. So what it'll, auto, uh, what it'll do is during the day, the water will be pumped out. It will be, fill the barrel. And then from the barrel, from gravity, they'll be able to draw water. And they'll have clean water. And it will. it's going to be not only good for them to sustain them, but also for growing crops. So that's all going to be installed. When that gets installed, Rich is going to send me some video and some pictures and we'll show you that so you can see that as it's, uh, as it's completed. I went to a couple other wells that he drilled at a school in another place out in the woods or out in the bush and saw kind of the layout of what was going to happen. And it's amazing to me to see uh, a spigot coming up out of the ground and you turn it, and clean, cool water is coming out of that. It just it just blows your mind. In this, and you look around you, and there's like nothing. It's just desolate. <laughs> but that's what's happening. So thank you, because this would not have been able. We would not have been able to do this uh, had it not been for you giving, 
And whether you gave a lot or a little, whether you prayed, whatever, if you were part of this, you were part of this. Uh, the other side of it is if you weren't part of this, you weren't part of this. So but that just goes to show you that uh, join us as we do these things because uh, God wants us to, to be a blessing to people. I think it would be really uh, good for us to pray for these people. Pray that God would begin to uh, plant seeds and to water the seeds and that in their hearts, spiritually speaking, that we might see some great things happen. There is a man who has moved there who is going to pastor them and share the gospel with them. And uh, uh, I think he's a good man and I think he's, he's got a lot of work left ahead of him. But I think he has water and I think he's going to have an opportunity to do that. So I think it would be good to pray for them. One other prayer request just in, uh, that was brought to my mind, uh, brought to me before the service. You know, we, we, and I want to get into a whole political thing. There's a lot of pressure on the border and people coming. And one of the reasons people are coming is because there's a tremendous, uh, terrible things happening down in Venezuela. And uh, people are leaving the country because of uh, just it's not safe, it's not good. And uh, I think it would be good to pray for us because there's a power shift going on right now, which is going to have huge implications for a lot of people. So let's just pray for those situations. Father, I do pray for uh, Mali, West Africa. I pray for the, the village, that it would be an incredible time for uh, a harvest, at least planting seeds and watering seeds, not just fe- seeds in the field, but seeds in the human hearts. I pray that this uh, village that is uh, fearful might know the one who casts away all fear and anxiety, the one who sets people free from bondage. I pray that this well would be uh, an opportunity, uh, a witness of the gospel, that uh, people will be drawn to you and find Jesus as Savior and Lord and find hope and purpose in all the things that people desperately need there. I also pray for the pastors uh, in northern Mali who are in very dangerous places where there is Taliban, there are rebels, there is uh, unrest, there's a tremendous amount of of conflict. And uh, as I spoke at the conference, and many of them shared uh, their, their concern for safety, but they're there because they love you and they want to serve you and they want their, their neighbors, many of them, most of them who are Muslim, 95% uh, to know Jesus. Thank you for the church in uh, uh, northern Mali and Timbuktu. Thank you for the pastors that are faithfully uh, declaring the gospel there, even though it, they, they're risking their lives. And we do lift up uh, the country of Venezuela, Father, and the unrest and the lack of leadership and the, the threat of violence and the just the, everything that's going wrong there and how it's affecting so many families. Uh, we can't imagine that because we live in America where we have peace for the most part, in harmony. And uh, we, we, we feel as though we have conflict in our country, and yet when we look at these other countries, uh, that's conflict. That's real. Uh, those are real problems. So, Father, we pray for peace. We pray for some sort of leadership transition in Venezuela that could be peaceful and there could be some rebuilding. We pray that you protect life. We also would ask for uh, your guidance and direction as we look into your word more this uh, weekend. 
And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know about you, but um, on my library shelves, I have manuals for different things. A lot of them for software. Like, I think I actually have, this will date me, I think I actually have a a manual for Windows (laughs) 3.1. That might have been the first one where they had icons. You say, what? (laughs) And so, what are we, Windows 10 now? So it's 3 to 10. So you say, so you look at that, uh, that, that manual and you say, that's totally out of date. It's irrelevant. You know, throw it away. And you know, as I was thinking about the message for this weekend, I was thinking, you know, I was going to talk about how the Bible is trustworthy. How we can trust it. How it's God's Word. It's, it, it's, in, it's inspired by God. It's infallible. It's, it's authoritative to our lives. And, and all those things. And then I started thinking about it and I said, you know what? Most people who are not part of a church and not Christians would look at the Bible and that's not their biggest issue with the Bible. It's not that they go, I don't think the Bible is trustworthy. They would say, I don't think the Bible is relevant to my life. I don't think it has anything to say to my life. I don't think it has anything that should impact my life. And so what I want to do is I want to address that this weekend. I want to talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, I do want to just give you probably three of maybe the key verses that talk about the trustworthiness, the authority, the inspiration of the Scriptures. I think it's important to have those. And so would you just look at those with me for a moment? The first one is found in Matthew chapter 5. And that's in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's very interesting because what is going on here is Jesus says, I haven't come to change the law and the prophets. I haven't come to to tinker with it. Now, when he talks about the law and the prophets, at that time, the Old Testament canon, in other words, the 39 books of the Old Testament, were already set. They were scrolls, but they, they already knew what the 39 books of the Old Testament were. So when Jesus talks about the Law and the Prophets, He's talking about the totality of the Old Testament. He says, I haven't come to play with it. I haven't come to, to, to tweak it. And, and this is what He says. Look at verse 17 of chapter 5. Do you think that I have come to abolish the Law or the Prophets? I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now what Jesus is saying there is, He's saying every last little mark, every you know, and it's almost like an accent in a sense what He's talking about. And, and so what Jesus is saying is, I'm not throwing the law and the prophets aside. In fact, I'm fulfilling it. I am fulfilling the letter of the law. And then he goes on to say this. <coughs> Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's going on here? What is going on here is that Jesus... You know, it, it, think about this. 
Some people, some modern scholars say, well, there's a lot of prophets with the, with the, there, there's a lot of problems with the law and the prophets. There's a lot of problems with the, the book of Genesis and, 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 and the miracles and, and Jonah and the great fish and all these other things. We, we really can't believe these things. We really can't believe those things. And I've always said, if you can get past Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, every other miracle is pretty small. That being said, they have issues with those books. So you would say, if there were issues with those books, if there were issues with those problems, if they got things wrong, it seems like what Jesus would do here is say, you know, let's talk about the Law and the Prophets. Let's go over to Genesis. Let's go over to 1 Kings. Let's go over to Isaiah. There's a few things we got to tweak here. There's a few things that aren't right. And that's not what he says. He says, I put my stamp of approval on it all. We're not changing anything. We're not even changing the smallest stroke. I didn't come to change it. I came to fulfill it. And so Jesus affirms, what I want you to see is Jesus affirms the Old Testament. Paul does the same thing in 2 Timothy 3. Notice what he says here. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. He's talking to Timothy. And he says, have, you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those <coughs> from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise uh, for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. <coughs> now notice, what, notice what, what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the Scripture isn't something that man came up with. It is breathed out by God. Men... Uh, were guided and directed by the Holy Spirit as they penned and as they wrote the Scripture. And he says, Scripture is without error. It is exactly the way it needs to be. And it's, it shows us where we are right, where we are wrong, uh, how to get right, and how to stay right. And so, in a sense, Paul is affirming the same thing Jesus did. Now go to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Peter says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter's saying essentially the same thing. He's saying they didn't just get inspired and say, I think I'll write something about God. No, the Spirit of God directed them and guided them and used their vocabulary and use their education. And that's why when you read the New Testament, you can read Paul's letters and say, well, that's Paul because that's how he writes. And you read John's letters and say, well, that's John. That's how John writes. Matthew's a little different. Peter's a little different. It's all a little different. And when you read the Greek, you can see it's just different. And so God uses their personality. He uses their vocabulary to perfectly write His Word. And, and, and so... What I want you to see is that Scripture claims to be from God over and over and over. And Jesus said, the Old Testament, I put my stamp of approval on it. Paul said, the Word of God didn't just happen. Men were directed by God. Peter says the same thing. So the Word of God is trustworthy. We can trust it. That's the main thing I want you to see. So I'm convinced, though, that the biggest issue people have with the Bible is not whether it's trustworthy, but whether it's relevant. So I want to spend the rest of my time this weekend talking about why is the Bible relevant to our lives. I believe it's inspired. I believe it's infallible. I believe it's authoritative. 
But why is it relevant in our lives? So I want to take some time to um, show why the Bible, even though it's an old book, is not outdated. It's still very relevant for our life. <clears throat> now, I want to make a qualifying statement. Christianity isn't true because it's relevant. Christianity isn't true because it's relevant. It's relevant because it's true. The Bible still speaks to the greatest needs of the human heart. And I'm going to show you where that's true. Alright, so, the, let's, let's look at why is the Bible relevant in our life today. Number one, the Bible is relevant in our life because it shows us how our lives can have purpose and meaning. You know, one of the greatest things in our life that we need to have is to know that our life has meaning. That our life has purpose. That our life is, is significant. Um, some people will look for significance. They'll look for significance in their work. They'll look for significant in careers and relationships and in, in having a family in status or accomplishments. But here's the problem with all those things. All those things will one day fail. And so, to a certain extent, they can give you significance and purpose and meaning. But in, a, in the end, th there's going to be a time where they're going to all fail you. <laughs> you know, you're going to die. They're going to die, you know. And uh, your job is going to be over and you're not going to be able to do your job. And so you have all these issues going on. But all of these can and will fail you. We can either make... And, and here's what happens. I think we, we, we enter into this world and we tend to try to make up our purpose. Why are we here? What, is, what are we here for? Why are we here? Who, you know, what's our, what makes our life significant? So the point is, we can either make up our own purpose in life or we can discover what our Creator designed us to be. And I think that's really important because I think a lot of people are making it up. And I understand that. But I think people are never, they're, they're trying to say, why am I here? What's my purpose? What, what, is, what am I on this earth for? What is my life about? Without ever looking up and saying, God, you're the one who created me. Maybe you should, you know, maybe I should ask you. Maybe you, you have a plan for my life. And I'm suggesting that's a very smart and very intelligent, wise thing to do. Now, the ancient pantheists believed that in gods who made mankind for no good reason. Uh, many people believe the theory of evolution that tells us our, life, our lives are meaningless and we're merely living in a world that <laughs> accidentally happened and your life has no real significance or meaning and it's just you're lucky to be here, you're lucky you're alive. That's uh, what many people would say. But the Bible tells us very clearly that we are individual human beings created in the image of God, made with a purpose, and intimately loved by God. Now that's pretty significant. That says that our lives aren't random, but they're very well designed. That, that, that we aren't accidents, but we are created in the image of God. That we are not just people here on this earth, but we are loved by the one who matters most, our Creator in heaven. So it's really important to understand that. Look at uh, Genesis uh, 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now that says a couple of things. Number one, it says that we are above the creation we are to, and that we are to manage the creation. We are to be good caretakers of the creation. We are, we, it, the creation, the earth doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Him. We are the caretakers of His, of his creation. <coughs> So God created mankind in His image. Excuse me. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So Genesis is very clear. We do not live in a random world that accidentally came about. Scripture is clear. We live in a divinely created world where we are given a divine purpose. <coughs> Two verses that just changed my life when I was about 18 years old was Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And they say this. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. So I, when I heard these verses, it just rocked my world because I was told, you, aren't, you can never save yourself. You need a Savior. Your works will never save you. You need somebody to save you. But then in verse 10, it's, it's very interesting what it says. Um, well, let me read a couple other verses before we get there. Um, well, I'll read that verse. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says this, We are God's handiwork. Some translations put it masterpiece. And I think that's a valid translation. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for in advance for us to do. So that tells us that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Your life isn't random. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. Why? Because God, your Creator, created you for a purpose and with a purpose in mind. He had any, by the way, he had that in mind before you were even created. He didn't look at you and say, you know, I think you'd be good at that. I think you should do that. No, he said, you are created for this. You have a purpose. Uh, we're told very intimate things about ourselves. In Luke chapter 12, 7, it says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So here's our creator father in heaven telling us, your life is valuable. Your life is significant. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. You may be here and you may have walked in this weekend and said, I don't think anyone cares for me. And I just want to tell you, there's a Father in Heaven. There's a Creator in Heaven that says, I do. You may have asked, does anybody care? I do. God says, I do. Jesus says, I do. So we have a choice. We can either determine our own purpose without God or we can join God in living out the purpose we were designed by our Creator to live. So my question is here, where are you going to find purpose and meaning in your life? You're going to find it in your relationships. You can find it to a certain extent and that's okay. You can find it in your family. You can find it in your career. You can find it in your job. You can find it in you know, all these different things. But in the end, if you want to find your purpose, you have to look up. You can look horizontally, but you have to look up. Because the one who created you, the one who made you in His image, knows your purpose. And when you begin to connect with Him, you, find, you really find your purpose. So that's the first thing. The Bible is relevant because it shows you that you're not random. That you, your life has purpose and your life has meaning. Secondly, the Bible's relevant because it helps us find hope when life brings hardship, pain, suffering, and loss. <clears throat> you know, every, every culture and every society has to come up with a plan or a view of understanding suffering that makes sense. Hinduism, for instance, believes in karma. And uh, it says, basically, that if somebody is suffering, it is due to that person's actions, whether it's in this life or the past life. And so, karma is working out, you know, working 
yourself out of your past mistakes, your past errors, so that one day you will be free, essentially. Buddhism says suffering is due to lack of knowledge. Buddhism teaches four noble truths, that suffering is inevitable in, in existence, that desire causes suffering, that desire can be removed, and the Buddha has the prescription to remove it. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, in the world, you will have trouble, tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus says something pretty significant. He says, as you live in this world right now, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be difficult times. But hold on, because I came so that I could overcome that, and one day I will overturn that. Now, he hasn't done it yet, but there's one day that's coming where he will. So the Bible teaches that we live in a fallen world, we live with fallen people, we hurt one another, we are generally selfish, and pain and suffering and loss is part of this world. But beyond the grave there is hope, new life, no more pain and suffering and loss. (coughs) That's why Paul says something very significant in Thessalonians. He talks about, (coughs) don't be like those who have no hope who grieve without hope. You know there's a difference between grieving when you lose somebody close to you and you have no hope and grieving when you have hope. When you grieve for somebody, when you have hope, you say, there's a day that I will see them again and we will know each other. We will remember our lives and we will, t- we will catch up and we will move on and we move on together in this relationship. That's grieving with hope. We still miss the person. We still feel the loss. But we don't, we're not devastated saying, I'll never see this person again. And whatever memory they had of me is gone. That's grieving without hope. Paul says, don't be like those who have no hope. You have a hope that goes beyond the grave. That one day you'll be reunited. One day you will, you will be together. So we've all experienced loss. We've all lost loved ones. How do we cope? Paul, uh, Paul says that in Thessalonians. He says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so you will not grieve like the rest of the world. And this is 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Don't grieve like the rest of the world who have no hope. You know, one of the things we need in this life is we just have to have hope. And... The only way we can have hope is we have to look above our problems and we have to look to heaven. There is grieving without hope and there's grieving with hope. And the difference is huge. Tim Keller says this. I want to read this quote. I thought it was really good. He says, no no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful with our career, Something will inevitably ruin it. And he's right. He's not a negative person. He's just being real. Jesus says in the world, you're going to have tribulation. It's part of this life. So if this life is all there is, then finding hope when life gets hard is impossible. But if if, if there is life beyond the grave and the best is yet to come, then real hope can carry us even in the darkest days. 
Many of you have been buoyed by your hope because you, you have lost people that you loved. But you, you, you have this hope that goes beyond the grave. And you say, I'm broken. I'm, I'm lo- lo- suffering loss. I'm struggling. But I have this hope that raises my heart and raises my soul because I know this is not goodbye. It's so long for now. Let me ask you, how do you deal with pain and suffering and loss? The amazing truth of the Gospel is this. That God not only gives us this hope, but that Jesus Christ entered into our suffering and pain. So when we go to Him and we say, God, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm lonely. I, I feel betrayed. I feel like I've lost a friend. Uh, Jesus, I, I know exactly how You feel. I've experienced it myself. So we have a God who doesn't just wind the world up and let it go. We have a God, world that, uh, a God who entered into the world that He created and was ultimately abused and executed as a common criminal. So He understands. He entered into our suffering. And so uh, the psalm says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. And, and many times God carries us during those difficult times. And He understands our hurt. So the Bible is relevant because it shows us where we can find hope when life gets hard. Number three, the Bible is relevant because it assures us that we are loved and accepted by the one who matters the most. I think every one of us has a desperate need to know that our life matters, that we're loved and that we're accepted by someone, that we're cared for, that we would be missed. And I mentioned it a few weeks ago, how the suicide rate seems to be publicly being portrayed and people are taking their lives. And I think one of the reasons they're doing it is they're saying no one cares and no one loves me and my life, I won't be missed and my life is too painful. The problem is this, we're selfish creatures and we are often so caught up in our own lives that we have very little time or energy to give anyone else, even those we love. And when I want to I want to give you a, a, a little test right now. I often give this test to couples in pre-marriage counseling because I want to get their reaction and I kind of want to help them to learn a skill that I think is critical in marriage. I want to ask you a question. Here's the question. When was the last time that someone that you love and respect spoke positive, positive affirming words into your life? They just said words of encouragement. They just said positive, encouraging, loving words into your life. They weren't after anything. They just said, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you. I just want to tell you how I think you're a, you're a significant person. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate and love you. How much I accept you. I don't want anything from you. I just want to pour into your life and affirm you. I, my guess is that if I were to ask you that, tell me the last time that happened, I think most of us would say, not most of us, I think some of us would say, I don't know if that's ever happened in my life ever. I think many more of us might say, you know what, I don't know if that's happened in the last year where I've had somebody say something so positive and affirming and loving to me. Somebody that I love, not just blowing smoke, but somebody who is thoughtfully speaking into my life. 
And I think many of us would say, I don't have anybody saying that in my life. So generally what I say couples at that point is saying, well, if you can't do it to each other, then where is that going to happen? And if you as a parent can't do that to your kids, then where are they going to get that? getting quiet in here. And I think the reason it's getting quiet in here is because we all need it, but we're all so busy with our lives, we're all so wound up with our own lives that we don't even take the time to say, when was the last time that I spoke positive, encouraging words in the life of my spouse, in the life of my, my family, in the life of my kids, and uh, some maybe a co-worker or a friend or something? When was the last time? And, and I think that's the point. When was the last time that you poured out words of affirmation and love to the people you care about? And then what do you do when your boss or your spouse or your kids or your parents do exactly the opposite? They don't appreciate you. They don't get you. They don't speak positive, affirming words. What do you do then? I like what John says. I'm sorry, I keep doing that. It keeps creeping down. John says this in John chapter 1. This is speaking of Jesus. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in Him, He gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not from natural descent, nor from human decision, or a husband's will but born of God. One of the things that I try to offer, and I've said this to one of my sons recently, because he's just kind of overwhelmed with life. He was being overwhelmed with life and trying to please this person and please this person, please this person. And just, it just, have you been there where you just get overwhelmed with that? And I said, here's the thing you got to do. Play to an audience of one. There's only one person in the universe you need to please. You're not going to make everyone happy, by the way, when you do that. Because you, as a Christian, new Christian, you think, oh, I'll just please Jesus and then everybody will be happy with me. No, they won't. In fact, the opposite happens many times. But you need to know that the most important person in the world is always affirming you and always expressing His love for you and is concerned about you. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, I know that He willingly left His throne and climbed up on a cross for you and for me. And I know if He would do that, then everything else is, is, is nothing. But we, I, I, my point is this. Understand that there is one person who will speak those positive, affirming words to you when others around you can't. Here's the last one. The Word of God is relevant because it points us to our greatest need in life. Most of us think, and and this will change over life and times and and situation. It may be that you came in this weekend and you said, my biggest need is my health. Or my biggest need is my finances. Or my biggest need is my relationship right now. It's kind of not going well. Or... My biggest need is a a better job. And these are all important things. And we may think this is the biggest need that I have in my life. And 
Uh, if you talk to your neighbor, your friends and people that don't know Jesus, they would probably list one of those things as being, this is my greatest need right now. But the Bible is very interesting because the Bible says that the greatest need that each and every one of us has today is to know that we are at peace with God. Is to know that we stand before God at peace. The Bible tells us that we're not born at peace with God. Paul tells us that we're not turning our lives to God, but away from Him. The Bible tells us that we are separated from a holy God by our sin. Paul tells us that we all fall short of the glory of God. Paul tells us that there's no way that we can get our get back with God. That, that all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. That we all fall short. But God loved us enough to send His Son. And John 3 tells us that God so loved the world that He gave. His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And And He goes on in verse 18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And what He means there is this, if you have not believed in Jesus, you are not at peace with God and you are already condemned. You can leave this weekend and you can turn your heart to God and hope and say, God, I, I need you as a savior. I'm a sinner and I'm separated. You are holy and I am not. And, and my greatest need is not my job. It's not my health. It's not my relationship. My greatest need is that I turn my life over to you, my savior and my creator. And the Bible says the minute we turn our life over to Jesus, our savior and creator, he comes into our life and he begins to change us from the inside out little by little. But the one thing that he gives us immediately is he gives us a new standing with God that we now we are at peace with God not because we have done something but because Jesus climbed up on a cross and he said it is finished that's peace the Bible's clear you can't save yourself you need a savior and Jesus is the only way back to the father Jesus went to the cross so that you could be forgiven have peace with God and live forever our greatest need in life is to be at peace with God. And Paul tells us that the, that can only come when we place our trust, not in our own goodness, but in Jesus. Notice, and I want to close with this verse. <clears throat> Paul writes this in Romans 5, and you'll have this verse. Therefore, since we have been justified, notice, not through ourselves, but through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the glory, uh, the hope of the glory of God. Do you want peace tonight? You want peace this weekend? How do you get peace? You get peace not by trying to earn it, not by going to church, not by being better than others, not by following a set of rules and regulations, and not by being a member of the right church. You get peace with God by bowing down before God and calling upon Jesus Christ as Savior and asking Him to come into your life and to take away your sin and give you His righteousness. You see, Jesus lived the life we should have lived and He died the death we should have died. And the Bible says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be paid. You could walk in this weekend. You could listen to this sermon online this, uh, that is being given this weekend. And you can say, I don't know if I have peace with God, but you can have peace with God today. I want to close and I want to lead you in prayer. 
And uh, we'll just ask for God to give us peace. But I think there's at least four ways, and I could go on more, but there's at least four ways that I think the Bible is absolutely relevant to our lives today and speaks to the deepest needs of our hearts and our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have a, a purpose and a meaning for our life. Thank you that you give us hope that goes beyond the grave. Even in the midst of suffering and, and, and loss, we can still hold our heads up and not grieve like the rest of the world. <clears throat> Thank you for all of that, Father. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this weekend or anyone listening online who doesn't know whether they have peace with God and, and really wants to take that step, they might pray something like this. Dear Father in heaven, I realize that I need peace with you, and I realize I can't earn it or deserve it, and I can't get it for myself, but I realize that you knew that, and so you sent Jesus to do it for me, that he came and lived the life for me that I should have lived and died on in my place, and through his death, I live, and through his, uh, his suffering and uh, shedding his blood on the cross and dying in my place, I'm forgiven. I have peace with you because of what Jesus Christ did. And now I ask Jesus to come into my life and to take away my sin so that I can have his righteousness and stand at peace with you. I don't understand this all, Father, but I want to give my life to you because Jesus gave his life for me. Hey, Father, if if somebody prayed that prayer, I pray they'd let somebody know because they have stepped from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. They have been set free. They have life that goes beyond the grave. And that they can begin to find out why you made them. And how you're going to make them into the masterpiece you designed them to be. For the rest of us, Father, who may have prayed this prayer recently or maybe a long time ago. May we always marvel and may we always wonder at how marvelous your grace and mercy are, that you have given us so much. We don't deserve it, but we thank you for it. May we understand how blessed we are to have your word that is so relevant to our lives today. May we take it as it is, your word to us, without error, inspired by God, infallible and and, and authoritative to our lives. May we listen to your word and may your word change us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.